Okay, the discussion will take place concerning Parshas Yisrael. The, uh, the topic of our conversation this evening will become obvious to us uh, how it's connected to this week's Parsha, and that is homicide and murder, Los Yitzhak, one of the Ten Commandments. And it will become obvious through the discussion how, how that is connected. The topic of uh, this evening's discussion is conjoined twins. Conjoined twins is a, uh, an interesting phenomenon, a rare phenomenon, but very interesting. The, um, and sad. Conjoined twins is a, uh, and what we're going to say this evening is based upon Rabbi J. David Black's article in the Tradition Magazine and subsequently published in his books, volume 31, number 1, full 1996. Um, it's entitled Survey of Recent Halachic Periodic Literature, Conjoined Twins by Rabbi J. David Black. Okay, uh, <coughs> so conjoined twins, yeah? 1996, in the Tradition magazine. Conjoined twins is a product of a single ovum that fails to separate during the beginning uh, stages of gestation. So what happens is, is the product that develops is two twins that are not that are that are that are attached in some way physically. <coughs> the statistics are basically, at least in 1996 they were, is that there's one in 50,000 births this happens in some way, shape, or form. Approximately 40% of these births are stillborn and another 37, 34% die within 24 hours of after, after birth. The, um, oddly, the incidence of female, uh, of female conjoined twins is much higher. It's between 65 to 95 percent of all conjoined twins that are born are female, which is uh, an oddity that it doesn't have a, a, an explanation. Um, there are many, many examples of conjoined twins and studies done. Amongst the most famous is, is the Siamese twins. The, uh, we know we call conjoined twins, sometimes we call them Siamese twins. These Siamese twins, the name Siamese twins comes from two twins that were discovered. Their names were Eng and Cheng in 1811. They were connected by a loose piece of cartilage by their torso, and they were uh, exhibited by P.T. Barnum. And so that's, and they were from Siam. Therefore, hence, we have the name Siamese twins. Um... Couldn't they separate that easily? The case of conjoined connected twins raises many halachic issues. And we were going to discuss this evening one specific one that relates to the negative commandment of Losirtach. <coughs> However, just before we, before we do that, one of the halachic issues that are involved is, are they considered two separate people? Or are they considered to be one person? Okay, that is, that is one of the issues. Um, the Shalos Vichuvis, the uh, responsa of the Shavus Yaakov, which was published in 1709, comments that this is nothing new. Uh, there's nothing new under the sun. And he says that actually Adam and Eve, Adam and Chava, 
were conjoined twins, according to one opinion in the Gemara. The Gemara says, in uh, Tractate Erevin, on page 18a, the Gemara says that they were created together joined, Adam and Chava. One side was male, the other side was female, and he wants to bring a, pr- a proof from a verse that they were actually considered to be se- separate individuals. Um, one of the proof, the proof is, is, is that the Torah says, in Parshas Bereshis, it says, Zohar Nukeva Baram, he created them male and female, Vayikra Eshimam Adam, and he called their name, underlined their name, Adam, he called their name man. So their name in the plural indicates that they are a bay, which means that they are two separate people. The consequence of this is, is whether or not this conjoined twins can get married. Because if they're two separate people, Shavuot Yaakov discusses whether or not there could be a co- uh, there could be marriage, whether there could be a consummation of marriage, whether there's a requirement for pidyon aben redemption of the firstborn if they are male, of each one or perhaps more of, uh, the the two of them together. This is the, one of the discussions that takes place. Well, how could they get married if they're sister and brother? So no, they, well, usually they're the same sex. Usually it's either they're both males or both females. So there's a discussion ensues now whether the two, let's say they're female, whether the two females are, are they can get married I mean, to Adam one, Adam Adam the twins. But not Adam and Chava. Oh, Adam and Chava, how come they're brothers? That is before the Torah. That's not the, uh, I mean, everybody married sisters and brothers. Yeah, that's what the matter says. Uh, how did Kain and Hevel, the Shvatim, the, the tribes married their own sisters, according to one opinion. Okay, so um, the specific case that we are going to discuss this evening, and there are, there are many different cases, but the specific case that we're going to discuss this evening is a case that happened in Philadelphia in 1977. In 1977, there was a, a yeshiva couple in Lakewood, New Jersey, studying in the, in, 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 the, uh, in the Lakewood yeshiva, who had such twins. They had what is called, uh, and uh, Dr. Steve, maybe you can help me pronounce these words, they had what is called Therocopagus uh, dicephalus twins, conjoined twins. The, the, the term uh, thoracopagus means that they were connected by their torso, the upper torso, right? They were connected by their upper torso. Dicephalus means that they have two heads. In other words, distinct heads separated, not attached together, because there are, there are I guess, monocephalus twins that are attached by their brains at the, at the head. There's such a thing. But these were not. Now, the issue with these twins was as follows. The issue was is that they had, they had two hearts. One heart was a perfectly normal um, four-chamber heart. There was a heart that was attached to it that was stunted in only two chambers. And it, the, the, the wall between them was one-tenth of an inch thick. So therefore, there was no possibility for separation, to separate the two hearts. <coughs> the heart... This functional heart that the twins shared, the mass of the heart was not strong enough to be able to, to pump enough blood throughout the entire body for the twins to survive. Therefore, therefore, they were experiencing, the twins were experiencing what was called heart failure, basically. They could not survive. So the issue was is the only way that the twins would survive is we would have, they, they would have to exterminate, which essentially would be to decapitate one of the twins in order for the other twin to survive. The, uh, the surgeon 
that was in, uh, in the Philadelphia Children's Hospital was C. Everett Koop. He became later uh, the Surgeon General under the Reagan administration. Now, the, before the couple wanted to go through with this operation, they sought the advice of Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, of blessed memory. Okay, the uh, case uh, achieved very popular appeal to the point where um, the Catholics involved in the, in the, in the case, and the staff sought uh, ethical advice. Uh, three anesthesiologists were asked not to be put on the case, and even the surgeon himself requested, a, um, requested to be absolved from any charges of homicide that might ensue as a result of the operation and should the twins expire and not survive. And he was granted permission by a three-judge panel of the Philadelphia Family Court. <clears throat> it happens to be that the, uh, the surgical procedure was successful. However, the, uh, the twin that survived unfortunately died from, uh, from a, uh, a complication 47 days later, I think. It died from a, uh, a blood transfusion uh, where it contracted hepatitis B, unfortunately, and it didn't survive. But the question was posed to Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, and this will be the subject of our discussion, uh, hopefully, um, if time will allow it, as to what was his reasoning in the eyes of Rabbi Bleich. And since he didn't re write a chuva, he didn't write a response, there is considerable dispute and discussion as to what his reasoning was, but in the end he permitted the, uh, the operation to be done. And the issue, of course, is connected to this week's Pasha in that um, uh, it, it, um, taking, taking the life of one of the twins is an issue of, of homicide. And therefore, the question halakhically was, is whether it's, uh, it's permitted or not. That was the, that was the discussion. Okay. <laughs> okay, so what was his what was his decision will be the subject of our of of of, of what we talk about this evening. Fine. So he says like this. Which one did they, the one with the two chambers? We're going, to, we're going to discuss which one it was, the left one or the right one, which one had the possibility to survive. Okay, and th this is, again, an uncommon occurrence, but when it happens, it's very sad, and it's an interesting question in, in, in halakha, in Jewish law. And it happened to be a religious, happened to be a religious couple in, in Lakewood, a yeshiva, a yeshiva student and his wife. Okay. Um... So we start with a Yerushalmi. We start with the, with the Jerusalem Talmud. The Jerusalem Talmud has the following discussion, which is completely unrelated to, uh, to, to, to this Siamese twins issue, but we'll, we'll, we will connect it back. So we start with the with discussion as follows. The, uh, the Brisa in the uh, Jerusalem Talmud says that if a group of people are traveling on the road and they are met by marauders, robbers or whatever it may be and they and they stop them and they say okay we're going to kill one of you give us one of you to kill or we will kill you all so what is the halacha what is the law in such a case what does one do in such a case so the Brisa says the Brisa says this is in the 8th 
chapter of Trumas, the Brisa says that one is not allowed to give away one. Not even one. We have to say, we have to say, <coughs> we have to say we will all be killed. We will not give away one soul, one Jewish soul to the, uh, to the robber. <laughs> However, says the Brisa, if they specify a specific person, if they specify a specific person, for example, like Sheva ben Bichri, there's a story with, uh, with a person by the name of Sheva ben Bichri who apparently was guilty of rebelling against King David and the general of King David uh, sought to kill him as a result, to punish him as a result. So um, he laid siege to a city and he said, give me Sheva ben Bichri and if you don't, I shall kill you all. And they killed Sheva ben Bichri and they, gave, and, they, and, and, and they weren't killed. So, for example... If these people specify one specific person, such as Sheva ben Bichri, then what's the law? Right? What's the law? They should give him away. If they say, if the robbers say, we want so-and-so, right? We want, we want to kill so-and-so. We want to kill uh, this guy. Then you have to give, it away, give him away so that everybody else does not get killed. Do you have a distinction? Yes. Mark, if they say anyone, we don't give anybody. If they say one specific person, then we give one specific person. But that doesn't make the statement that doesn't match the situation that you first gave it. Oh, we're not, we're, we're, oh we're, okay. that's going to be 40 minutes later. We're, we're, not, we're not matching any situations at the moment. I hear. Can we're you substitute that specific person? <laughs> <laughs> for like an older person? Oh, I don't know. The writer doesn't say. The writer doesn't say. I don't know. You have to give that specific person. I think. That's what it sounds like. Even, even, even they have no reason at all. They have no reason at all. They say they want this person. Well, we're going to soon see. It's a dispute. They have no reason at all. They say they want this specific guy. Okay? So the, there's a dispute with Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish and Rabbi Yochanan. Or Rosh Lakish, as he's known. Rosh Lakish says that this person has to specifically be guilty of wrongdoing, like Sheva ben Bechri. Okay? Like Mark's point. He has to be a person who insulted a king who is already liable for the death penalty. Otherwise, you still have to say, we're not giving anybody away. Rabbi Yochanan says, no. It's immaterial. It happens to be that in that story, he was guilty of a capital offense. But, it, but it's immaterial. It doesn't matter who they specify. It doesn't matter who they specify. You have to give that person away, and the rest will live. That's the, that's the law. So, what's the distinction between that and just giving a person even though it's not named. No, the doesn't say. The says if there's one person that's marked, you give him away. If it's not marked, then, uh, then, then nobody gets given. No, we don't give anybody. Okay, perhaps maybe that will come to light in the, in, in the context of our discussion. Fine. Okay, now, who does the law follow? Who does the law follow? Unfortunately, the Ramah, Rabbi Moshe Israelis, in the Shulchan Aruch in Simon Kufnun Zayim 157, quotes both opinions and does not decide like either one. So it would be difficult to, to uh, you know, it would have to be like, it would work out that according to Rabbi Yochanan, if they specify any person regardless of his previous actions or activity, we would have to give that person away in order, in, in order to live, right? So that is the... That is the law. It doesn't seem like to be that there is one particular decision. Now, um, Warren, you have this clear?
two positions. Rabbi Yochanan holds. Rabbi Yochanan holds. If you have, if they specify the person, irregardless what person is or what he has done, you have to give that person away. Rosh Lakish holds no. It's specifically if he has done something wrong. Okay. Now Rashi in Tractate Sanhedrin uh, explains Rabbi Yochanan's position. Okay. And we're going to get to the we're going to get to the Siamese twins, but we have to fill the forty minutes. So bear with us. Okay. The uh, in, in, on page 73a, the Talmud, or the Mishnah, says that what happens if a person is pursuing somebody else? They want to kill them. All right? We have a, uh, a regular, usual police chase. Uh, one person wants to kill somebody else. Can the police intervene? Can a third party intervene and save the victim, the, 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 the victim that's going to be from this alleged uh, pursuer? Are they allowed to intervene? Because they're going to they're gonna have to kill this person in order to save the other one. Are they allowed to intervene? So the Talmud says, of course, right? We have a law called the, the, the law of the pursuer. If somebody is pursuing somebody else, if somebody is pursuing somebody else, and that person is going to be a victim, a third party is allowed to intervene and kill, if necessary, the pursuer in order to save the victim. That is, the, that is what, the, 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 that's what the, the, the Mishnah says. Yeah, Moshe Shimshin. Is that only if you know they're going to kill that person or just going to rob them? Or yeah, no, only if you know they're going to kill them. And even then, you have to try to do it a different way. It's only if it's not possible any other way but to kill them, then you have to, then you have to, then you have to kill them in order to protect the victim. What if, what if the person is doing right. is an akam dumb? What? What if, what if he's allowed to, to seek that kind of revenge? Like, if he... If he Oh, if, he, if he kills him, you know, if he kills him intentionally, and this person is the... Is, yeah, is so the, that is beyond the scope of our discussion. So he is still a pursuer. But that's beyond of our discussion. He's allowed to kill him. Yeah, yeah. And you, and you could still kill the guy who's trying to kill him? Well, I don't know. If, I, I forget whether the third parties are going to get involved. But the person, the, the person who is going to be killed is allowed to defend themselves. Okay, but what about a third party? And so I don't, I don't remember about okay. the third party. Okay, fine. Now... Uh, the Gemara has the following question. The Gemara has the question, what happens if the pursuer is a minor? Okay? In our world today, we understand how that works. Right? One of the kids, uh, seven years old, they take their parents' gun, and they go and they uh, shoot somebody in their school because they're upset at them or whatever. Right? So, if the pursuer... What? Oh, God forbid. God forbid, Chas uh, By the way, everything that we say in this discussion is a matter of legal, of legal, legal discussion, not uh, a judgment on any... Uh, particular situation, so uh, don't misunderstand my statements as being flippant, okay? So a, guy, a person decides, for a minor decides that he's going to kill somebody. So is, does he have the legal status of a pursuer? Uh, is one allowed to kill them in order to save the alleged victim? That's the question that the Talmud asks on page 72b, the page before. Right? And the question is whether or not, the question is a little bit more complicated, and it's whether or not you can give him warning, because a, 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 a murderer needs to be warned before he murders in order to be liable for the offense. So the question really is, is whether or not a pursuer needs to be warned. In other words, is it a, is it a, 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 a court, uh, is, is it a court process, or is it anybody can get involved without the warning? And the consequence of that be was a minor. Is it, does a minor need to be warned or not? If he doesn't need to be warned, then he can be stopped. So the Talmud asks, the, the, um, the Talmud says, the Talmud says that even a minor does not need a warning 
the, the minor does not need a warning, and he can be killed in order to save the victim. Now, the Talmud asks a question on this idea. Okay? Rav Chista asked Rav Huna, who, who said this. This is a Mishnah in Olos in chapter 7, talking about a woman who is dying in childbirth. God forbid. Okay? She's dying in childbirth. So the, the Mishnah says, it depends on, uh, are you, uh, is one allowed to uh, expire or to, take, to, 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 to kill the fetus right, in order to save the mother? That's the Mishnah's discussion. The mother is dying in childbirth. Presumably she's dying because of hemorrhaging. Right? She can't, the baby can't uh, pass through the birth canal. The question is, can, can, can we uh, expire the fetus in order to save the mother? So the Mishnah makes a distinction. The Mishnah says that, the Mishnah says that once, if the, if the fetus is still in, in utero, if the, fetus, if the fetus is still in utero, then one is, pre, one is allowed to uh, take care of the fetus in any way possible, whether it would be with medicine or to even, if God forbid, cut it piece by piece in order to save the mother, as long as it's in utero. However, says the Mishnah, as soon as, as soon as, as soon as the fetus clears the birth canal, as soon as there's partuation, I guess that's the word, right? Uh, then, then one is not allowed to touch the baby. Because, says the Talmud, Ein dochen nefesh mitne nefesh. One is not allowed to push off one soul because of another soul. Okay? That is what? That's what the Talmud calls it. The Talmud calls it a soul, a nefesh. So if it's in utero, one is, not, one is allowed to get involved. But once it passes the birth canal, one is not allowed to get involved. One cannot push off one soul because of a different soul. Now, ask the Talmud, how is that different from a minor? This baby, even when it clears the birth canal, it is still a pursuer. It's pursuing the mother. So why shouldn't we be able to kill it? Or right, expire the baby. Why can't we do that? <coughs> That's what the Talmud asks. No different than the minor. The Talmud answers, Shani Hashem de Mishamaya It's different in the case of a birth of a child because there it's from heaven they are pursuing the mother. That's the distinction. And it sounds right. Whatever this means, from heaven, this is the the, the uh, perhaps maybe the natural cor- course of events. From heaven they are pursuing the mother. And therefore, one is not allowed to get involved. Hmm. By minor, that's not the case. By the minor, the minor themselves, the minor themselves are, are uh, the minor themselves are involved, but here, it's the natural cause of events. It's the, the heaven that's pursuing the mother. Therefore, one is not allowed to get involved. Okay. In this discussion is where Rashi explains the opinion of Rav Yochanan that we mentioned in the Jerusalem Talmud about the robbers who want to kill the group of people. Okay? Rashi says, Rashi says in this discussion, I'll ask you a question. What about the story of Sheva ben Bichri? That guy that the general of King David was pursuing. Right? Why did they kill him? 
Right? Remember, the Yoav, the general of King David, came to the city and he said, Give me Shavu Vivachli or else I'll kill you all. So what do they do? They killed him. They cut his head off and threw it over the wall. That's what they did. Why? Asks, uh, asks Rashi. Why did they do that? That's no different than a baby clearing the birth canal. You can't kill one just because of the other. You hear? You understand? You hear? Okay? So he answers by giving the two explanations of the opinions of Rishlokish and of Yochanan. He says, okay, he says, number one, he explains the opinion of, of Rav Yochanan, and he says that Sheba ben Brichli was going to die anyway. He was either going to die if he left the city, right, and he was going to die if he stayed with the city, because the option was, either you give me Sheba ben Brichli or I'll kill you all. So when I kill you all, I kill Sheba ben Brichli also. Okay? That, that, that was the, that, so therefore, that's why they threw him over the wall. But here, by the case of the mother who's giving birth, one will live, the other one will die. It's not that one will die anyway. Okay, and then he gives a second answer. The reason why they threw him over is because he had rebelled against King David. Okay? Let's say summary, so that you just clarify where we're holding, because this is a little bit involved. Okay? The summary is like this. The summary is, keep this open, the summary is like this. A gr- uh, marauders come to a group let's forget about everything we just discussed marauders come to a group of Jewish people and they say give us this particular fellow give us Peter or else we'll kill, or, or else we'll kill you all so what is the halacha? the halacha is you give Peter and everybody else lives Rav Yochanan holds Rav Yochanan holds that it's immaterial of what Peter did it doesn't matter what Peter did since he was designated as the one to be given you have to give more than everybody else will live What's the reasoning behind that, says Rashi? Because Peter's going to die anyway. Either he's going to die with everybody, or he'll die by himself. That's all we said so far. From the beginning to the end, that's all we said. Okay? That's the law. Re- repeat. If, I, if, if a robber comes and says, give us a specific person, or we will kill you all, we give the specific person because the specific person is going to die anyway. One sentence, everything that we just said. Okay? So far, so good? So far, so good. Asks Rav Moshe Feinstein the following question. Rav Moshe asks, okay, <coughs> Rav Moshe says, what is the halacha of somebody who's dying? Um, uh, what is it, a moribound? Moribound? Or, or a goses? person who's about to die. Right? person who's about to die. What's the halacha? Is one allowed to close their eyes? Mm, one is not supposed to? Hasten their death. One is not allowed to close their eyes. Why not? They're going to die anyway in one minute. Right, because according to Jewish law, this is in 300 and you're there, 339, number one, one is not allowed to close their eyes. Why not? Because even, even a momentary life is to Jews an important, an, an important even momentary life. Therefore, one is not allowed to, one is supposed to preserve even momentary life. Chasha, even momentary life. Okay? Yes? Make sense? Okay. Now, Rav Moshe asks the following question. Okay. She, okay. So, uh, so, the group of robbers come. The group of robbers come and they say, the group of robbers come and they say, um, the group of robbers come and they say, give us X. If not, we'll kill you all. So, what's the response? Says Rashi, the response is we give him. 
because he's going to die anyway. Right? That's, that's what we said so far. Asks for Moshe, what do you mean he's going to die anyway? But, it's gonna take, but he's going to live another few more minutes. Correct? <laughs> By the time they have to kill everybody, who said he's going to be the first one? If you give him away, he'll die quicker. It should be the same as closing the eyes. How are we allowed to give him away? That's what Ramosha asks. Make sense? Okay. That's his question. So what does Rashi mean? Why are we allowed to give him away? Fine. So Ramosha gives a, a, an interesting, ex, a, interesting explanation. He says, okay, now, we have, let's get back to the pursuing situation, the pursuing situation. One fellow is pursuing another fellow and he's going to kill him. So he said, a third party is allowed to get involved and save that fellow. What happens if two people are pursuing each other? Is a third party allowed to get involved? Uh, they both have guns. They both have their fists flying. Right? They're both pursuing each other. Is, a, is another person allowed to get involved? That's the question. So Ramosha says, no. He's not allowed to get involved. The third party is not allowed to get involved. What's the reasoning for that? So he says, another statement of the Talmud, page 74a. Now we know the Talmud in 74a in Sanhedrin discusses that there are three cardinal sins that one's supposed to give up their life for. One of them is murder. For example, if a non-Jew comes and says, kill somebody or else I'll kill you, what does one do in such a situation? One says, kill me. Don't, I won't kill them. So what's the reasoning for this? Says, uh, says the Gemara. The Gemara says at the end of that page, the Gemara says the reasoning for this is, is that who said that your blood is sweeter than the other guy's blood? Okay, so the, the person says to you, kill this one or else I'll kill you, who said that you should, he should die instead of you, maybe you should die instead of him. So when we have, says Rabbi Moshe, when we have one person pursuing another person, Peter is pursuing George, so we can kill Peter in order to save George. But when Peter and George are pursuing each other, then they're both pursuers, who gives the right for us to intervene, to either kill George or Peter, because who said whose blood is sweeter than the other? Make sense? So therefore, the, the law of intervening on behalf of the victim is inoperative when there is mutual pursuers. Okay, fine. So Rav Moshe says, what happens if the mutual pursuers, one pursuer is qualitatively greater than the, 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 the other pursuer? For example, let's say one pursuer has a bazooka and the other pursuer has spitballs. So then, is a third party not, not supposed to get involved? So what Moshe says, of course, the pursuer with spitballs, his pursuit is qualitatively less than the pursuit of the gun with the, the guy with the bazooka. Therefore, what Moshe says, therefore, what Moshe says, <coughs> the, the person who has qualitatively greater pursuit is considered to be a pursuer, and the, person's, the person whose pursuit is less is not a pursuer, and therefore the third party is allowed to get involved. So if George has a bazooka and Peter has spitballs, then the third party is allowed to kill George in order to save Peter. That's what Moshe says. Okay? Fine. 
let's summarize again, just to make sure that we are that, that we're clear. Okay, we have the case of a group, a group of robbers come and they say, "Give us George, or else we'll kill you all." So the halacha is, we give George, irregardless of his actions, in order to save everybody else. Says Rashi, because George was going to die anyway. George was going to die anyway, right? He was going to either die with the group or he's going to die as an individual. Okay, we give we give George we give George away. Fine. Now Rashi, that's what Rashi says. Says 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 Rav Moshe, how can we give him away? He still has he still has time to live. If we give him away, he's going to die sooner than if we would have if we would have if we would have kept him. Okay. Fine. That's what everybody said. Yeah. So what is the answer to this? <clears throat> the person who is in this group, the person who is in this group, George, he is classified as a pursuer. As long as he is in this group, everybody's in danger of dying. Correct? Yes? Okay. Now, the people who are giving George away are his pursuers because they're giving him away. Correct? So we have a case of mutual pursuers. Right? George is pursuing them and they are pursuing George. George is pursuing them by his very existence. And they are pursuing George because they want to give him away to the marauders. Make sense? You understand? You hear this? Whose pursuit is greater? Who poses a greater danger? The group. The group poses, poses a greater danger to George, or does George pose a greater danger to the group? So Ramosha says, George is going to die anyway. George is going to die anyway. So what are the group threatening George with? As soon as that. They are closing his eyes earlier. He is dying earlier. What is George threatening the group with? Dying. Not dying earlier, right? But the, uh, the qualitative, whatever, the, the, the uh, normal longevity anticipation of, 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 their, uh, uh, of how long they're going to exist, he's threatening that. He's threatening their life. So whose pursuit is qualitatively greater than the pursuit of, right? Whose pursuit is their pursuit, his pursuit is greater than theirs because he's taking away their lives and they're taking away his temporary life that's already going to be gone. So therefore, who should, who should be expired? George or them? George. George. Therefore, they have the right to give George away. That's what Rashi is saying. Okay, summary, one more time. Summary, one more time. A group of marauders come and they say, give us, give us George or else we kill you all. We give away George because he is designated and is going to die anyway, i.e., we are his pursuers, he is our pursuer, but he is pursuing our lives, we are pursuing his, he's going to die a, a temporary life, he's going to die anyway, and therefore we give him away. That's what we said so far from the beginning of our discussion. Okay? Make sense? It makes sense so far? Yeah. On? You hear? Okay. So, 
Rab Moshe brings a proof to this idea. Rab Moshe brings a proof to this idea from the Yerushalmi. There's another Yerushalmi in Tractate Shabbos on page 14 that brings the whole discussion that we discussed before with the, with the, with the mother giving birth. And so the Talmud asks, why is it, why is it that when it clears, why is it that when it clears the birth canal, we're not allowed to get involved with the, with the child? So the Talmud answers, you know why? Because we don't know who's killing who. Serve the commentaries of the Karbanaid and the Pneboshe. They say that because the child is pursuing the mother and the mother is pursuing the child. They are mutual pursuers of each other. And therefore, the Thomas says that when there's mutual pursuit, when one clears the birth canal, one's not allowed to get involved in this mutual pursuit, says Ramosha. Okay? Now, the Rambam, when he quotes this, the Rambam, when he quotes this Gemara, when the Rambam, when he quotes this Gemara, he says like this. He invokes the, the law of pursuit as, as the Jerusalem Talmud says. And he says as follows. Okay, a woman is giving birth. If it's a fetus, if it's a fetus, so, so in other words, it's still in 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 um in the uh, in in it what in, in in it's still inside the mother's womb, right? In utero, it's a, it's inside the mother's the mother's womb. Says the Rambam, right? So we don't we don't get involved. Well, we do get involved. We take we, we kill. Why says the Rambam? Why do we why do we kill the fetus? Because the fetus is the pursuer pursuer of the mother. However, says, says the Rambam, once the baby clears the birth canal, we don't kill it. Why? Because that's the normal thing. That's the normal way to do it. Asks all the commentaries, one second, if the fetus is a pursuer, what's the difference whether it clears the birth canal or not? It's a pursuer of the mother. Either way it's pursuing the mother. Whether it clears the birth canal or not. So if you're saying it's a pursuer, you should be able to kill it before it kills the, before it, 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 it clears the birth canal and after. What's the distinction? It's the normal way of things when it's inside and when it's outside. What's the difference between inside and outside? So Rav Moshe says like this. Rav Moshe says, listen to this. It's a beautiful idea. Not, not a beautiful idea, but in the context of our discussion, it's a beautiful idea. Rav Moshe says that, okay, inside the, inside the womb, the fetus is what? It's a fetus. Therefore, the, right, right, one step back. Right? If the fetus is a, is, a, is a pursuer of the mother, the mother is the pursuer of the fetus because either one of them is going to die. They're mutual pursuers. Okay? Now, the fetus inside the uh, womb of the mother is a fetus. And what is the mother threatening? Feticide. To, that, the, that the fetus will die if we don't do something. What is the fetus threatening? Homicide. To kill the mother. When the fetus clears the birth canal and becomes a baby, a nephesh, what is the fetus threatening? Homicide. What is the mother threatening? Also homicide. The distinction between being inside and outside is on whether or not killing the baby is killing the baby a homicide or a feticide. What's the difference? Because feticide, it's not a complete nephesh. As long as it's inside the mother's womb and doesn't clear the birth canal, it's a fetus. And therefore, killing it is one step lower, even though it's prohibited. But it's not homicide. It's not a capital offense. Therefore, even, right? therefore, therefore even though they're mutual pursuers, the fetus's pursuit is qualitatively greater than the mother's pursuit because the mother wants to commit, not wants to commit, but will commit feticide, 
which is one level of, of, of pursuit, but the fetus will commit homicide. When, and therefore, when you have mutual pursuits between two, if one is greater than the other, then you, invo- then you, then you stop the one that's, that, that, that's greater. However, once it clears the birth canal, once, the, once it clears the birth canal, it is a, uh, a nephish, it is a full body, and therefore, they both involve the mutual pursuit and we don't get involved. Does that make sense? Okay, fine. What? What do you say? You did? No, no. Summarize one more time. Okay. So we summarize again. Okay, I guess this, I guess this teaches us a lesson not to do this at home. We'll let this the rabbis make this decision. This is all just assuming, of course, that they know for sure that the fetus is causing the mother the distress. I mean... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it's assuming. That's what it's assuming. That has nothing to do with the baby. Right, right. This is, this is, this, this is the assumption. Of course, it's the assumption. Okay. Yeah. One, more, one more time. One more time, okay? The Rambam says that when the, ba- when the ba- baby's inside the mother, we, don't, we kill it. When it's outside the mother, we don't. We, we, we don't. Why? Because the mother and the fetus and, and the child are both... I'm sorry, the mother and the, and the baby are mutual pursuers of each other. Mm-hmm. So what's the general rule when they're mutual pursuers? We don't get involved. So why does it we get involved when it's inside and we don't get involved when it's outside? The answer is because when it's outside, the pursuit of them is equal. When it's inside, the pursuit is not equal. The mother is only going to commit quote-unquote feticide, but the fetus will commit homicide. Therefore, we, we kill the fetus to save the mother. That's the answer. Does that make, yeah, okay? So therefore, Rav Moshe contends. Therefore, Rav Moshe contends. And uh, after this, we'll hopefully we'll be able to bring this uh, discussion to a close. Right, Rav Moshe contends that the Jerusalem Talmud in Sanhedrin, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, Babylonian Talmud in Sanhedrin, and this Rambam are all saying the same thing, that it's the normal cor- cor- uh, course of events, um, it's a normal course event. They're, she's being pursued by heaven, or they're both trying to kill each other. They all, all of those statements complement each other in saying that there's mutual pursuit between the mother and the baby, between the mother and the baby. And the question whether we get involved is depending on the qualitative difference between the pursuit of the mother and the baby. That's the bottom line. Summary, again. And after this summary, we bring it to our, to our twins. Okay? Summary again. A group of robbers come... And they say, a group of robbers come and they say, give us George or we'll kill you all. We say, take him. We say, hey George, you can have him. Okay? You take George, he's yours for keeps. Take George. Says, says uh, Rashi, why? Because he's going to die anyway. Okay? What, what is the explanation of Rashi's words? George is the pursuer of the people. The people are the pursuer of George. George's existence is threatening their existence. They are going to give him away. Whose threat is greater? The people's threat is less because George is going to die anyway, while George's threat is more because they're not going to die anyway. Therefore, we give George away. Okay? That's what we do. So, therefore, we learn the principle when there's mutual pursuit, if the pursuit is equal, a third party does not get involved. If the pursuit is not equal, the, ones per, the, the one whose pursuit is qualitatively greater is the one that we get involved with and take away. The proof to that is the mother who's giving birth. 
when the baby clears the birth canal, the pursuit of the baby and the mother are equal, therefore we don't get involved. When the baby does not clear the birth canal, the pursuit of the mother and the baby are not equal because the mother is standing to commit, uh, commit feticide and the baby is standing to commit homicide. Therefore, we get involved and save the mother and, right, by, killing the, by, by, by expiring the baby. That's what we said so far. That's the, that, that is the discussion. Shalom Israel. Okay? Now, we come to the twins. Okay? We come to the twins. And this is what Rabbi Bleich says. First of all, we have to remember that the twins were experiencing heart failure because the heart, the four-chamber heart, was not capable of pumping the blood through, through, the, through, the, through the children. Okay, number one. Um, and therefore, they were both in danger of dying. Okay, number one. Number two is, generally speaking, in the case of dicephalus twins, which means that they have two heads, right, are, are twins which are joined by the, uh, by the chest, by the torso. <clears throat> the medical evidence indicates that the left twin has a higher chance of survival. Just because it's left? Just because it's left. And there are indications that even if the right twin, right, will, it, it will not survive even if we give it a full complement of organs. Even if the right twin has the heart, the chances are that it will survive less than the left twin. Okay? That is the situation. Now, the right twin, um, the right twin, the reason why it's not going to survive, because in the words of Rabbi Jadav Bleich, it's cardiovascular anomalies, which means the heart condition problems, right, are not amenable to surgical correction. That is the case. Now, if that is the case, that means that the right twin is classified as a trefa. A trefa is a person who will not live, who will not live, who will eventually expire. Okay? That means that the right twin is going to die anyway. It's going to die if it stays attached to the twin because the, the heart is not capable of supporting the twins. And it's going to die even if we separate them and give the right twin a, complement of, a full complement of organs that we give him the healthy heart. He's still not going to live. So therefore, he's a choice. He's going to die anyway. Right? Okay? Now, the twins, since they are separate individual realities, are in mutual pursuit of each other. They are classified as pursuers of each other. Because if they be only one, then perhaps maybe they can live longer. If the right twin would have the full complement of organs without being attached to the, to the left twin, then the heart would be strong enough to pump the blood through both twins. If the right and the, vice versa, the other twin, the right twin, would live longer with a healthy heart, even though it probably won't survive. So therefore, they are in mutual pursuit of each other. The fact that they are attached me, is the reason why they are experiencing heart failure. Now, since they are in mutual pursuit of each other, the law dictates, as we have mentioned in this lengthy discussion, we don't get involved. However, we said that if one pursuer's pursuit is qualitatively different, greater than the second pursuer, then we do get involved. Okay. Now, the left twin is doing what? Pursuing the right twin. That means that the right twin 
is going to die as a result of the left twin. The left twin is going to commit what? Homicide of a trefa, of a, uh, of a baby that's not viable. Right? And that is not a capital offense. Even though it's prohibited, it's akin to closing the eyes. It's no more than feticide in our, in our previous example that we mentioned. It's like killing a fetus. It's not homicide, because he's a trefa, even though it's prohibited. But it's not killing a full-fledged human being. The right twin is also pursuing the left twin. Right? The left twin is dying as a result of the right twin. What is the right twin doing? What? The right twin is committing homicide. Because if it wouldn't be for the left twin, the right twin would live with the full complement of organs. As we said, he has a chance of survival. Therefore, the pursuit of the right twin is qualitatively more, greater, than the pursuit of the, right, uh, of, the, of the left twin. The right twin stands to commit homicide of a trefa, while the left twin stands to commit homicide. That's the opposite. The left yeah. one had a better chance. So it's the right one is, is going to commit... Yeah, right, so the opposite. The opposite. Yeah. Right, okay. Right? Therefore, ruled Rav Moshe... Therefore, Ruvah Moshe, that, therefore, Ruvah Moshe, we can sanction a third-party involvement, i.e., to expire the right twin in order to save the left twin. Okay? Now, this is conditional on our discussion because there is a tremendous, um, there is a tremendous discussion as to as to how to learn all of these statements of the Talmud that we just mentioned. And that Rambam, right, the difference between clearing the birth canal, not clearing the, uh, the birth canal. So really, this question is a larger question of the, the, that is consequential to other questions. Right? So this was the decision. So in summary, is one allowed to kill one of the twins, conjoined twins, or in our case, the Thoracopagus Dicephalus conjoined twins. Is one allowed to expire one in order to save the other because it's an issue of homicide? The answer is yes, because one of the twins is a pursuer of the other twin, and the law is that one is allowed, a third party is allowed to get involved to kill a pursuer in order to save the one who is being pursued. That's the answer. So you're saying it's always the right one, though, right? Always the right one has yeah. less chance of survival. Right, so that's always going to be the one? I mean, it's not right. In that specific case. <laughs> well, it's in this specific... It but it was the right one, but it seems so wrong. But it, 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 the right one will always, will always not live. The right one will always not survive. <laughs> what if the right one, let's say, had more, whatever, uh, more... Um, School heart, heart, right, right, chamber. Right, like, what if the right one had the four chambers and the left one only had two chambers? You still fire the right one when the right one had more... Well, no, so this, is already, this is already a whole different discussion because it is hard to tell in such a case who the heart belongs to. That was a whole, that, that's a whole discussion in his article also, uh, to make the determination who the heart belongs to. So if you go, doing that, if you go down that avenue 
of who the heart belongs to that you're not going to come to a conclusion because you won't be able to identify it because of their connection. You're not going to be able to say, you're not going to be able to say the, right, the right heart, the, 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 the healthy heart belongs to the right twin as opposed to the left twin and vice versa, as opposed to the stunted heart, because, again, in the, in the, in the, in the separation of the, uh, of, the, of the twins in the ovum during the early stages of gest- gestation, right, each twin can claim that the healthy heart was mine when, when we separated, and the non-healthy ha- heart is yours. And the proximity of where the heart is is not necessarily going to be an indication either because, uh, right, uh, who said that proximity makes a determination if we share, if we are sharing those hearts uh-huh. together. Uh-huh. So, but, there are, but there are cases where, where there are things one like that that each have their own heart. Yes, there are. There are cases. The, 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 in the beginning of the discussion we, we mentioned, Right, that uh, we said Eng uh, and Chang or whatever, they were only connected by a cartilage, but you can have also twins that are connected by the head. Mono, whatever it's called, monocyphal, whatever, or over there. They can be connected by the head, just by the head, and everything else is separate. There was one... Um, but in that case, they probably both have the same chance of living, right? Like, I mean, what? Maybe they both have the same chance of living, so there's no reason to expire one of them. Right, right. They both have the same chance of living. The question now becomes, let's say they don't together, what do you do? Because then you, yeah. So if they're joined at the hip or the, the, side, the side, as they are, sometimes are, how do you know which one's right? Yeah, so I don't know. That's, that, that's a separate discussion. What do you mean? Which one is the right one? Which one is the left one? No. I think it's only here. I, I'm, I'm not a oh, doctor, so I don't know. I think it's only by the, the therocopagus. Uh, the cell, uh, the, they can do studies and tests and they see where it's like. See which one yeah. see it's only because of the cardiovascular anomalies of the right twin that, oh. that the, uh, the body won't help. But, it, it, but when, when, when they're, I guess, cardiovascularly sound, the both twins, and there's some other anomaly, uh, either by the head or by the, by the lower torso or whatever, then uh, here's an interesting example of, 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 of one, uh, I'll read you from the article of, uh, in, in one of his footnotes, footnote number uh, 41, uh, of, of, a different, uh, of a different case. Recently, a remarkable case involve, involved the separation of Lynn and Wynn Hatat at the hospital for the sick children in Toronto. The twins born in Burma shared a liver, but each had its own gallbladder and bile ducts. They... Um, they shared a large intestine and a rectum bladder and one, uh, um, one, uh, one organ, uh, a reproductive organ. I changed that. Uh, it says something else. Each had his own quite normal heart, lungs, spleen, pancreas, stomach, small intestine, testes, spinal column, a single kidney, and one normal leg. They shared a joint bladder with vertical dividing wall, making two almost complete and separate, separable bladders. In separating the twins, the surgeon severed the liver, leaving half to each, complete, to, to each twin complete with its gallbladder and bile ducts. And you could do that because the liver, you, a, a person doesn't need an entire liver in order to, in order to survive um, as long as they have, a, as long as they have a, 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 a healthy part. Then the twins each had one leg and each was fitted with a second artificial leg. The male genitalia were assigned to one child, and the artificial external female gen- genital organs were surgically crafted, because they only had one. They only had one. They had two sets of testes, but they only had one male genitalia, right? In effect, the second twin underwent the sex change procedure. 
So there's all kinds of different cases that are that are that are strange and sad in this way. You know, this is the this is the situation. But in this particular case, Rav Moshe's decision was Rav Moshe's decision was to that one can take one twin in order for the other twin to survive. Okay. So anyway, that's the uh, uh, the discussion for this evening. Thank you, everybody. Have a good job.